to a mass podcast. I'm sorry, I'm sorry to laugh because I have a fun guest and I can't wait to dig through. And when I say digging through, it's not in a bad way. It's about what she does because to me, she's amazing. So you're going to discover who it is in a minute, but I have to write, I have to read a little bit of her bio. So to start with, she was a clerical assistant at Rondo Beach Police Department. Oh, wow. Don't read that really? one. Don't read that. No, it's fine. I just scanned I police reports. Clerical assistant at Rondo Beach Police Department. You know, guys, I think we started, it's going to be a pretty cool, I know, podcast today <laughs> because we're starting at a high note right there. It's like, holy moly, <laughs> what's coming next? Humanitarian worker commissioned to, at, commissioned to every nation, administrative, administrative assistance to threats of hope. Alas, oh, there is mm-hmm. something, there is a theme here going on. Yes. And a business content specialist, ghostwriter, that's the reason, one of the reasons I want her on my show, because she's a ghostwriter, a copywriter, voice and brand uh, brand expert. And it's at literally symmetry full time. And also, and I'm intrigued about it, she's a West Coast girl moved <laughs> to the East Coast. So that's, again, in a nutshell, Something we want to know. So I want to welcome Christine Spencer. Hi, Christine. How are you doing? Uh, hi, Emma. I am so glad to be here with you, which you can see on my face and hear my voice, yes, right? I know. <laughs> it's like Friday. Can I get in a video than a Friday like that with you, Christine? Seriously. So do tell, do tell, because I am looking at your profile. I'm like, holy crap. The first things you read is like, What? I'm like, oh boy, it's like, how did you, how did you end up to do this job as a, uh, at the Rondo Beach Police Department? What, what got you there? Uh, Don't tell actually, me you got a handcuffed and had an experience. No, no. Oh, okay. no, actually it's funny because now I'm a pacifist. So I'm like, oh, I, I would not work at a police department anymore. <laughs> I, uh, not that I don't support police officers, but I just would love to see a little bit more de-escalation training. I'll say that. Um, But I worked there because my mom worked there uh, in the records department and my grandmother worked for the city next door and my next door neighbors both worked in the police department and at the uh, city hall. So it was just kind of a natural thing. So you were trained as a young age already, probably behind a little <laughs> desk. What are you doing? What well, I'm doing? Mommy's job and the neighbors too, because they come and help and play with me. We're I literally playing. would sit in like a closet <laughs> space covered, like each side of me was covered with police reports. And right next to me was the evidence locker, which always smelled like marijuana. So I would like come home and smell like I had been smoking all day. <laughs> I have never smoked marijuana, but I always smelled like it because I was there working and I feel like maybe I'm the only 16 year old to have ever uh taken a polygraph test because I had to take one and do a full background check before I worked there well you know what that at least you have some uh, knowledge and you have experience as well which is awesome actually it's a great way to uh to start uh your uh work life but also it gives you the um a little bit more etiquette and understanding of working as well, uh, even as a young kid, because a lot of, yes. um, not everybody has a um, part-time job or a full, quote-unquote, full-time job when you're um, 
a teen. So it's nice you get already the working experience. Yes, it was and nice. The, and the discipline as well, because you're talking about, uh, hopefully, a police department. So there is a discipline, there's a process. So you're already being exposed to something that most people don't, because when you work at a grocery store, trust me, they have their nose in their phone. So sometimes it's like, I'm talking to you, stop texting somebody, but they yes. don't have the etiquette and the work ethic that goes with it. But you learn something, you learn more at the discipline level, which is good. I, I feel like I came out of my mother's womb that way. I'm like yep. a classic people pleaser uh, personality type to where I'm like, what can I do to make this person think that I'm valuable. And so for work, it's always work harder, right? I mean, that's something that I've had to stare at my face in the mirror more recently and be like, your worth is not associated with what you do for your job just to like unbrainwash myself. So I was definitely a model worker. I think I got in trouble one time. I got in trouble for a dress code violation because the small of my back was showing under my sweater. I was like, really? That's what you're okay. Well, this person didn't show up to work three days in a row, but I'm in trouble because my sweater's a little too short. Fine, I guess that's how it works. Okay, that's kind of weird, actually. It's like you get nothing else better to do, people, or to pick on me because I do my job, but some because you don't do your job, you get nothing else better to pick on me. Like that's I mean, they're the ones who put me in the closet with my back showing to everyone. Like that's I feel like that's on them. Yeah, exactly. I agree. Totally agree on this one. So uh, how long uh, did you, uh, you stay over there for seven years? That was quite a long time, actually. So were you thinking to do, uh, being a, a working in a law enforcement environment or? No, no way. Never. Which is hilarious because when I met my husband at Cal State Long Beach, Go Beach, uh, <laughs> he was a criminal justice major. Oh, and I was like, funny. I'm like, no, I am not going to marry someone who's going to be a police officer. And he's all, no, I mean, I'm like reevaluating it. I'm not sure that's what I want to do. And then we got married and he did become a police officer for a period of time. And he was like, it did not fit his personality at all. So that took us to the next chapter where we started doing humanitarian work and we moved to Europe for 10 years. Oh, yes. Greece. Um, so how did you do that transition? Because you're working uh, in the police department and how did you find and found it? the humanitarian work at the uh, commission to every nation how did you find it out how did you seek it out because i don't know i don't yeah. know i don't know if everybody wants to do a mission or go somewhere it's like but where do you look to find a good organization that do something good yeah i mean we had a lot of friends who were part of different organizations and were like hey we're okay. thinking about this and they're like oh if you're thinking about this seriously there's this great school you can go to it's in hungary it's not in hungary anymore it's in georgia now but okay. uh back then it was in hungary and i had already been working fewer hours because i had become a mom twice so oh, we you? moved to hungary with a 2 year old and an 8 week old <laughs> Uh, so it was like, I gave birth and then we got on the plane. No, it was pretty close to that. Um, <laughs> God, that's like, you guys are unbelievable. <laughs> that's what everyone's all like, you're crazy. Like, what are you doing? Yes. I'm like, well, wh why not? Right. Like we're young. Exactly. We have the opportunity to do it. Yep. Like, why not just do it? And which was so unlike my personality at that point, but my husband kind of brings that out. I mean, he's an adventurer at heart. Good. 
So yeah, I'm never bored being married to him. Definitely almost 17 years later. Oh my God, 17 years. Congratulations. Yay. Thank you. No, seriously. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a lot of work. (laughs) For people who are like, I want to be married 17 years. You just have to like keep working on it every day. That's, that's, there's no trick. It's just being willing to do that. Um, thank you for saying that because a lot of people don't realize that a relationship is working. It's it's a work. It's between two individuals. So, and you change and you evolve, you grow, you mature. So is a relationship. So it's it's like attending your own garden. You have to maintain it. Otherwise the weeds come in and you right. have to pluck everything. So it's, you have to maintain it. It's not like some people will ask, oh, I'm married. Now I'm going to do nothing. You're like, yeah, that doesn't happen this way. But that doesn't like, go well. Oh, we've. We fell out of love. What? No, you like catapulted yourself off of the love canoe. That's what happened. Exactly. That's what you did. Yes, exactly. That's that's <laughs> that's working. Sorry. Uh, the beginning for me was just like what? And I said no. And yes, it is. It's two different individuals, and as we grow and mature, we still the connection needs to be there. If you don't nurture it, well, it's gonna dry out like everything else. So, it's so true. seven years you were in Greece. So what happened? Yes. Did you say that you were missing uh, the U.S. or you said, okay, I have enough of you people. The food is good. The weather is awesome. But uh, guess what? I want to go home. <laughs> so, um, so, so actually it wasn't like that. It was like, they were like, you can't stay anymore. <laughs> so we had to leave. <laughs> uh, Greece doesn't like humanitarian workers and they will do everything to get you out like we had all the paperwork we had an immigration lawyer um yes for anyone listening if you move from the u.s to another country you are an immigrant people would always be like you're not an immigrant i'm like yes i am yes i I live in a country where the language is not my language the culture is not my culture not in the u.s anymore (laughs) no that's that's very different and challenging and it gives me so much compassion for anyone who's immigrating because it's such a difficult experience exactly they don't make it easy no and so they were like okay well you have your papers you have your legal thing we're not going to issue well they wouldn't say this they were just like you have to wait to see about your papers. And we knew Uh they were not going to issue our um, residence uh, permit. So we're like, okay, well, we have to leave. But then something happened to expedite that, which is an unfortunate moment in my story is my father-in-law passed away suddenly from a skiing accident. Oh, wow. So we left green up in like three days and we left and we still haven't been back we're going back next summer yes. finally to like have some closure okay. uh and so we were say, forced to the papers <laughs> yes <laughs> so <laughs> yeah 37 boxes it was some crazy thing it was just like really intense season and then we wow. went back to california where both of uh-huh. my husband and i are both from california to like uh, you know, deal with his father's affairs because he um, he was the only child of his father. Yeah. So it, everything was on us. And it was just like really intense. Ourselves. We yes. were so like, sad is not the word. Like we were grief stricken in a horrendous manner because we were yeah. so close with his father. Like we still miss him. We still talk about him. Now we can smile when we talk about him. Okay. You know, it's been four years, but like, it's just recently that we're not just like sitting around crying it's, about it, it whenever he comes up. Yeah, because it's a shock. You know, you, if you got, you know, you might have talking to him the morning and then 
by, by afternoon it's gone. And you're like, okay, I need to process this. And it's very hard to process it because it's like, no, it's should never happen this way. And it's like, it's not possible. So you, you're in disbelief. And that's, yeah. I think that's the hardest part because when you know somebody has an illness and kind of pass and you're preparing yourself, you know. But when somebody passes all of a sudden unexpectedly, this is where you're in a state of shock. And it's like, no, no, that's not true. So I can I can understand the shock to come here and have to deal with it and thinking, oh, he's going to come here. I'm going to talk to him. And he's like, he's not here. It's like processing a different way on how to For be. Sure. So that's, that's terrible. That's terrible to go through this. I'm sorry you did with your husband go through that process. So thank you. But, but I did learn, you know, that's the thing about like grief and sorrow uh-huh. and struggles and failures. And yes, I do say things are failures. I've been getting so much pushback on that lately where people are like, if you learn something, it's not a failure. I'm like, okay, but I need that word. Like I'm all about words, which is why I'm a ghostwriter. Yes. I'm like, I need the word failure in my toolbox so that I can pull it out and explain this whole long idea with one little word. And if you don't like that word, that's okay. You don't have to use it, but I'm still going to use it. And I found that I learn so much more from these difficult moments in life than I do when everything's fine. And so I have to like reframe it with gratitude. Like I'm not happy this happened. I'm not thankful this happened, but I'm thankful from the things that I learned from it as a result. Exactly. Yeah, it it is a challenge. It's a total challenge. So you're coming coming back here as an in in a state of emergency to be dealing yes. with something nobody wants to deal with actually. And um, so what happened? How did you, you know, because your life is upside down, nothing mm-hmm. is prepared, actually. You got nothing right. prepared because you have to live in a hurry with the child, children's, there is two. Now there are three. Behind. Yeah. And you get a third one? Yeah, we have a, two girls and a son and a boy. Two girls and so a boy. So one yeah. is born in Greece? Yes. Yeah, our son was born there. His okay. name is Timotheos. So it says, I mean, he is Greek. So that's he's not he can't be Greek. So there's only like six countries that have that rule. So he had to go to the embassy in Athens when he was eight days old and get issued a birth certificate from America. His birth certificate looks amazing. It's like way cooler than any other birth certificate. I know it's like, so where are you born in Greece? Okay, but it's like it has all these like holograms on it's just epic looking. Yes. All the other kids are like, I want one like that. I'm like, well, sorry. You can't, sorry. Get a California one. Too bad. We can draw some around it and make you a copy and we can draw some around it. Here's yeah, yours. That's, that's a he good can, solution. He can choose your style. <laughs> Which color whatever you stickers want. you want, go for it. Exactly. Oh my goodness. I didn't realize that for, uh, thank you for the information actually, because I didn't realize that, that, um, so they don't allow, they don't give, because you're born over there, unless you're Greek. They don't give you the nationality. Right. You have to have one parent that's Greek, I believe, is the okay. rule. Hmm. Well, that's the same with, with us, actually, for Italy. Yeah. Wherever you're born, it doesn't matter where you're born. If one of your parents is Italian, you get automatically the nationality. At the exception, in 1967, they decided to stop to do that for one year. <laughs> that's <laughs> awful. <laughs> I know that was on my sister. I was laughing. She's oh, no. 67. Oh my goodness. We were laughing. And like we all have hers. Except her, she did not. She had to provide some paper and stuff. And we were laughing at her when <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. 
he was hilarious. I was like, yep, you're not Italian. <laughs> oh, man, that is so mean. <laughs> so he was, I know, for one year, I don't know why, but they stopped to do this. And then uh, she got it. But it was hilarious when we were like, yeah, we're Italian and you're not. <laughs> yeah, like, that's funny. The fact that the government did that is what is not nice. For one year, yeah, they refused any children born outside of the Italy would not be automatically recognized as Italian if the father or one of the parents is Italian, actually. Yeah. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Well, I'm glad they changed it back. <laughs> well, they changed it back because I am, so I'm good. That's <laughs> funny. You imagine one out of the three say, so, yeah, we, we have ours. We can go to or we did our paper and everything else. And we're fine. She's <laughs> like, I am not. I'm like, well, oh, that's too bad. <laughs> I said, well, you're not Italian, so why are you talking to us? <laughs> what are you? Right? Exactly. It's like, no, we don't know you. <laughs> but that's interesting. But I did not know that for um, Grace, um, that will not allow to do that. That's very, very interesting. So coming back here, so you're in the West Coast, and you had to restart somewhere else because basically it's restarting from scratch too. So yes, I mean, like, yeah, Nothing like no car, no furniture, no place to live. So we lived in my husband's father's house uh, mm-hmm. for six months and we fixed everything. And then we rented that out. Um, but my husband had a job offer. I'm going to use scare quotes around the words job offer okay. uh, in Pennsylvania. And he was being hired to um, become an assistant pastor at a church. So we're like, oh, okay. Wow that's fine. Like we'll move to Pennsylvania then. But then we got here and the entire thing just like imploded. And they were like, no, he's not going to work here until he like proves himself for five years or (gasps) some crazy thing. Like they knew what we had gone through. We had to leave Greece and then his father died and, and they just did not treat us well at all. And we were like, now what do we do? And we could not sell our house and make like get out of it because we had yeah. done renovations on it yep. because it needed new electricity and new pipes. And it, it's, you know, from 1944 and no one had touched anything in the house that whole time. So we had to redo everything and we we realized there's no way we can sell the house for what we yep. paid for it. So we just kind of got stuck here, but it ended up being a wonderful thing because um, in Southern California, for reasons I cannot explain, the ESL program, English as a Second Language, is not the best, even though they have so many ESL students. I know. Uh, because m- my kids went to Greek school. They they spoke oh, and they wrote in Greek. Oh, they were speaking real Greek. Oh, my yes. God. Oh, so, I forgot about that little detail. It's, oh I mean, it's illegal to homeschool your kids in Greece. So we had to send them to public school, and mm-hmm. which we were fine with. And for yeah, the most part, good. they liked it. Yeah. Yeah. They don't remember Greek now, which is sad. But I feel like yeah. it will come back once we go. Yeah. Uh, so the program here was amazing and they were spending one-on-one time with my kids and like their English is like their best subject now. And my husband got a job as a painter and he was painting and I was like, now what do I do? Like I had already published a ton of books at that point and I wanted to make a career out of something to do with writing because I love mm-hmm. writing. I'm obsessed with writing. You, you like within five minutes of us meeting each other, you knew I was obsessed with writing, right? Oh, yes, I know. That's why I love you. I'm like, you're a ghost writer. She's going to write my books. I'm just saying, you know, guys, in the near future, there is a yes. series coming out. We're going to have to talk about it. 
But I yes. can guarantee there will be a collaboration. She's not going to be the ghost, quote unquote, writer. Nobody knows. She will be part of the collaboration. So her name will be on the book too. But yeah, she, that's why I'm like, yes. <laughs> well, what? In Europe, there is a lot of ghost writer. We call them a different name. I mean, I'm going to use the name because otherwise it's going to offend people. But that's right, the meaning. Right. Then we use it here in the U.S. Different connotation. But a lot of um, um, pub, publi uh, published writers actually have ghost writers writing it for them. So yeah. for in Europe, I don't know if it's more known or not, but it's more, everybody knows that. I so, think people hear... I feel like people in the writing world know it, but other people are like, oh my gosh, they're like a talented actress and singer and they can write too. And yeah. they're like, of course, they're just super talented. Well, you know, <laughs> they're like, okay, yeah, that's, they just instantly picked up that skill. No problem. Yeah. And, and they, they're never going to tell you, well, they no. don't. Because no, they otherwise, make... you know, the persona here will say, oh, you're not perfect. I don't care. I'd rather have right. a ghost writer to do a good job on a book than me trying to write a book which could be awful or very entertaining because it would be like, what in the world is she trying to say? Right. I mean, that's that's our superpower, right? Is like making exactly. it easy to understand and, and entertaining. But like they like some people make me sign an NDA. Yeah. I'm not even allowed to say what projects I've worked on. Yeah. And then other people are like, I don't want to do this unless we're going to put your name on the book too. And I'm like, okay, whatever, whatever you want, I'll do it either way. That's fine. Yeah, it's for me, it's like me. when we do the series, I don't care. Like your name will be on the uh, next to mine. I could care less if it's on the top, on the side, left or right. It will be there because for me, it's like, even though you're a quote unquote ghost writer, well, may as well highlight who who did the work, and then me. Oh yeah, I can have my picture plastered everywhere if you wanted to, but I'd like to give credit. So, I'm very I'm extremely fascinated by ghostwriting. So, you're searching on what you wanted to do, and the love of the yes. words came. So, what? How did you get it started? So, I had already written several books. Um, and I had just written another fiction book, which was. I couldn't even look at it. Like with everything that had happened, I just ignored it. And so I was like, I don't want to write fiction right now anymore. It's too hard. It reminds me of all this stuff that's hard for me to process, which I had to process later with a counselor, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so I was like, I'm just going to focus on nonfiction. And I decided that I was going to go back to school and become a certified copy editor because I was like, at least I'll make money, which is hilarious because if you're thinking about going back to school to become a certified copy editor to make money that way, let me just save you a bunch of time and heartache. It is so difficult to convince people that they need to pay a copy editor. They're like, oh, I'll just give you like 50 bucks, right? No, no big deal. And you're like, no, like, don't, uh, don't you understand? Like I had to go to school to get this, like, I don't want to reach up to my bookshelf, but I have like a bunch of books that are this thick that tell me how to make a book concise and uh, clear and so like you, all of that stuff, right? So, Correct. So you're telling me if I come with two chicken and, and a dozen eggs, it's not going to go for the trading for me for you to do the editing part of it? Are you sure? And I had a pie, a rhubarb <laughs> pie. No, <laughs> no, I'm, no, no, I'm shocked. I am shocked that people will not pay. Oh, they would give yeah. you 50 bucks like, like your uh, 16-year-old student who just want to make a little a buck on the side. I'm like, wow. 
And the program is really difficult. Like I cried so many nights when I was going through it. And (laughs) at the end, I don't want to scare people who are interested in this, but figure out how you're going to make money before you even do it. And then also know there's a course manuscript in the last class. And I'm pretty sure it had something like 4,000 corrections I had to do on it. It was (gasps) insane. It was so like it made my computer crash so many times because it was so full of stuff, but they do it on purpose. They want you to know that you can do it out in the real world, which is useful. And I loved all my professors, my professoresses, right. In Italian. Um, But it was just, I couldn't make money from it. I couldn't find people like people who are trying to break into fiction writing. They do not have a ton of extra income to afford mm-hmm. copy editors. Yeah. And I kept thinking like, I know I can make money with my mm-hmm. skills. I have all these, like, I also have a degree in comparative world literature, which is essentially useless, except for now I use it every day. <laughs> <laughs> I love, you know what I love than you're authentic and honest. I love also, and I think, you know, I rather have to speak, I rather speak with a person like you who are uh, really, giving it raw to people, meaning you're honest, you're direct because you don't fluff things around and you're really explained because for people who want to be a copy editor or writers or anything like that, it sounds glamorous. It sounds like, oh, that's not that bad. Well, not true. It's hard work. Mm -hmm. And it's like you said, uh, if you want to help people who want to write fiction and stuff like that, well, most of them are broke or don't have that much. They are. Yep. They don't have the money to have you help them and they need your help. So, and like, for me, I'm really empathetic and that's how all my branding works. It's all based on empathy for my business. Mm -hmm. And so I would get into these situations where they're like crying on the phone. Like I don't have the money, but please can you edit my manuscript? Like I need it to be edited or I can't submit it here, here, or here for this, this, and that. And I would be like, Oh, I can't keep working for free, but I feel bad. So let me just do the first three chapters or something like, and then go work a hundred hours for free. And it was not working out for me. Yeah, Like it was exhausting. I wasn't getting anything out of it financially, which I really, I really needed that financial help. And so that's when it finally came to like a turning point where my husband had had to stop working because of COVID because he was a house painter. So he couldn't go in people's houses anymore. We had no money. I'm doing all this work for free. And I'm like, we cannot pay our bills. We cannot. Like, we also have a student rental that my husband and I invested in with the inheritance money he got from his father. And it was vacant for a year and a half because of COVID, which meant that we're paying all the bills out of our pocket every single month. And it was to the point where it's just like, everything is upside down. All the numbers are red. And I'm panicking and I was Mm -hmm. so desperate. And I was like, whatever I do right now, I have to get money or we won't be able to buy food next month. That's how bad it was. Or we're going to have our heat shut off. Yeah. And so that like turned off the switch inside me that was like, I'm willing to work for free because I had to feed my kids. I had to keep them warm in the middle of Western Pennsylvania winter, which it's cold and snowy, right? Exactly. So I was like, I'm going to do whatever. The next person that I find who is telling me how they can help me, I'm going to do whatever they say, even if it makes me uncomfortable. And that's when I ran into Rachel Peterson. And I don't know if you know who she is. 
you would love her because she's so transparent and like open and she does all these amazing things, but she's like, because of COVID, I am going to make my social media United course free. And she's like, if you need money right now, go do the 10 day challenge. It's called 10, uh, 10 days to one K and it's, it's all about getting leads and finding money. And she's all go do that. And so I did it. And in 10 days I had three K because I did everything. She said, I was so desperate for money that I didn't care how I looked to anyone else. Mm-hmm. I didn't care if the client thought I was qualified or not. I knew I was. And yeah. so I had my first two jobs and then I landed my first ghostwriting gig. Uh, nice. I had never thought about doing it before because I have a friend who's a professional writer and she does it and she gets nickeled and dimed because she writes fiction for people. And so she'll write 60,000 words and get paid $700. And I'm like, ew, no, I'm not. Like I, I'm willing to do anything, but that still feels wrong to me. So I was like, I have my own business. I understand how difficult it is, but I know that I can use storytelling because storytelling was always my saving grace growing up. I didn't have an emotionally healthy childhood. And when I felt overwhelmed, I would go read a book because Mm -hmm. at least I could escape into that world for a little while and feel better. And I was like, I can use knowing how to do that and help businesses connect with their target audiences and everything I learned in social media United, it all just came together. And I met this one client uh, and I still do work for this client. I love this client. And, um, but I can't say who they are because I ghost wrote their book. (laughs) No, it's okay. We don't say anything. You don't have to, we're good. But like this person trusted me and I was Mm -hmm. like, I can do this for you. And then the book ended up being a huge hit. Uh, I got more ghostwriting clients. I found where I belonged in the world because of my financial desperation. Yes. You had to hit the wall in order to. You have to. And I had always heard people say that, like, when you are out of options, you will figure out a way to make it work. And I was like, oh, that's just something they say. (laughs) I did not believe them. I was like, I don't know. I feel pretty desperate right now whoever said that, but then I really was desperate. And I was like, I have to make everything work. And within, you know, like two months after that, I had like my first 10 K month. And then I kept getting clients and people kept finding me. And I was like, I actually have a business that's growing to the point where I need to go out and find contracted workers to build Mm -hmm. out my team. So I found Mm -hmm. people and I trained them. So I have a whole the ghostwriting because they do formatting, social media, uh, and also copy editing. I have a copy editor besides me on staff because when I write, I can't copy edit. You yeah. should like anyone listening to this should know if you've written something, you cannot edit it yourself. You I just agree. can't. I don't. I, I send all somebody, my stuff. I do the same thing when I do my blogs. I have somebody uh, uh, doing it for me and I go back and I read it again. I used to not do that, but I'm like, I need to read it again because me and my language, it's like, okay, if somebody, uh, you know, edit me, I need to go back and read it to make sure this is exactly what I wanted to say. So right. because of the language <laughs> and the thought, different thoughts, but I have somebody who's doing that to me, for me too, as well. Yeah. It's so important. And mm-hmm. I always tell them, I'm like, you don't even have to hire me. I'm not saying hire me, but just no. hire someone, right? Like, Find someone who can check things for you. But I will say, I will give this caveat. caveat. 
if someone says they're really good at grammar and they can edit your stuff, you have to be really careful because editors are trained to use like standards that giant committees decide are okay. Okay. If you just have a friend go through and fix your book or whatever, they're going to use the standards of what they think are okay, which might not Not lend itself to clarity. Yeah, exactly. So that's why it's like, there's a difference between writing a blog, like I do, and writing a book. So I would rather hire the expert. We know who it is because we know who's (laughs) going to do it. So we don't have a problem. It's already been decided. So it's a question (laughs) of when actually, but it's having a professional, a ghostwriter or a professional editor who can do that because at this point, you're right. It's like you can write it, but if you try to submit it to any published house, they are going to look at it. It's like, I don't think so. It's just like a five years old will write that. No, we don't. They, you want something. Well, actually, concise. they don't want to see your book. If you're submitting to a publishing house, the publishing is a whole thing. I could literally talk about it for hours. But <laughs> if you're going to write, yeah. <laughs> if you're doing a nonfiction project yeah. and you want mm-hmm. to get a publisher to sign you on to do it, it's very difficult, first of all, especially if you don't already have a giant audience all over every social media. But also they don't want the book written. They want a proposal, which takes a whole nother skill set to create. And then right. you actually have to write the book. It's in my opinion, it's convoluted. Uh, yeah, I'm yes. pretty I'm unashamed in my uh open questioning of how the publishing houses run their businesses. I've talked to lots of different acquisition editors and I'll be like, I don't like that. And they're like, I don't like it either, but we have Mm. to. And I'm just like, why doesn't someone do something different? Because they keep so much of the money. And, you know, a lot of people don't know this because it's not something that we talk about a ton in public, but the advance that you get If a bookstore sends your book back, which they are absolutely allowed to do, you have to give the advance back for those books they returned. Ooh, that people don't know. So if you spend the money because you needed it and you're in buying and in big trouble. So, wow. And publishing houses, they're making authors pay for their own editors now, which is like, in my opinion, it's very messed up. So hold on, are they are they forcing people to have um, in-house editors at that point and say you're going to hire this person and work with that person, or did they give the author the choice to pick who should be editing their books? They give the author the choice, but they used to pay for it, and now they don't. They're like pay for it out of your advance, and that's not okay, in my opinion. That's wow. So it, you know what? It's an eye opening because I think a lot of people who want to publish their books are like, they have no idea. And if you, I had somebody um, who already published a book and I said, I was talking about Hair House actually. And I asked her, I said, connect with them and see what they want. So Hair House was, who did they want it? They wanted to have a manager already that will connect with them. They didn't want to talk to the author they wanted right. a manager i was like if you don't have a manager what do you do it's like it's ridiculous it's like really well so they they specialize in influencer books so they only want people who have over a million like audience already so they would have a talent manager at that point that's one of the reasons they probably do that well that's funny because those guys saw it somewhere so they must change it as they went along because that was supposed to be open to not the influencers which is kind of sad in one way because it's like okay so you only want the people who are known 
to help you. But what about the rising stars? What about the people who should be able to do that? That's probably why Amazon created their own publishing thing, because you can go on Amazon and publish it because it's your book and you don't have to go through all of those hoops to be accepted, which I like. It costs maybe more yeah. money for the um, for um, the writers, but you know what? It gives you at least um, an opportunity to sell your book and get it published because it seems like a very cumbersome situation where, like you said, you have to go through some hoop, you have to proposal, blah, blah. How do you the book? Why do you want a proposal? I want something easier. So I like the fact that maybe some people are going to say, well, but that costs money. Well, I'd rather pay Amazon at this point to buy my book published than trying to go through um, very well-known um, publishing companies that kind of rip well, you they, off you no matter what. And they make you do all your own marketing anyway. Uh, is this, let me ask you, <laughs> let me ask you a question. Is this podcast going to be on Amazon? Yes. Okay, then it's I won't everywhere. say I won't say anything else because I know that means you signed something that said no, I did we not have to sign be careful. anything at all, dear. No, no, I never signed anything. My podcast you... is on Podomatic and the feed is on Amazon. I sign nothing. Okay, good. So can I be no, honest no. then? Yes. Be honest okay. with anything you want. This all is right. No, all because about. my See? podcast will never be on Amazon because they're like, if you want them on, you have to sign this blood oath that says you can never say anything bad about us. Really? But uh, yes, their their contract is quite extensive, but I believe you that you're through a third party, so you didn't have to sign that. No, I don't, because it's a link. So if they want to blackmail me on on the <laughs> blacklist, I have 32 platform. Okay, yeah, about 12 of them I know because I put them there. Okay, the others I don't know them, which is hilarious. Somebody put me somewhere on 13 different platforms. Someone platform, else did it, <laughs> and I'm yeah, I'm okay if they want to blackmail me. <laughs> <laughs> blacklist me on amazon i'm okay with that but no it's it, we're here to talk about the truth and being honest so i rather we're being honest but me i did not no mine is automatic that's where okay. i my podcast reside and everything nice. else is linked to the others so whatever you want to say you can say it no, I'm so sure with that amazon used to be a great platform for creators but they have gotten greedy they basically bury your book unless you pay them to advertise it even okay. on their platform. Like even if you type in the name of the book and the title, it will show up on the third page if you don't pay them for advertising. So they're doing like the SEO version of going on Google and search, except you have to pay them to go up. So they're doing the about similar to Google, basically. Right. Or it depends if how much traffic you've got on Google. If you got a lot of traffic, then it comes up automatically or otherwise you do an ad and you're the first one that when you type the name yes. or whatever. Okay, exactly. System. Okay. But they also take a percentage of every single book you yes. sell. Yes. So- this is my, my approach is I do not want to be, I don't want Amazon to have control over what I sell or, yeah. or also I don't want them to have the third party data, right? I want all my data to be first party, which yeah. let me just take a second to explain that third party data is something that you don't own. The platform that you're using owns it. First party data is when you own it. So if you sign up for my email list, yeah. I have your email and I own that. And I know who you are. If you find me through Facebook and I've paid for ads or whatever else, Facebook is definitely not willing to share that information with exactly, me. Exactly, because they own it, yes. Because they own it, which is why yeah. you pay them for ads. Yeah. 
Mm -hmm. So my recommendation is to do a hybrid model where you do put your book up on Amazon and they currently have really amazing prices for paperbacks. So I do bulk order paperbacks from them for events. And I have people go there to buy my paperbacks if they want a physical copy, which I understand I'm a physical copy person too. I get it. But I also sell my books digitally with a ton of extra stuff directly through a funnel and a website so that I get that first party data right away, even if they're coming from an ad. But I also keep almost all the money. The only money I don't keep is through my payment processor, right? I use Stripe, Mm -hmm. so they take a small percentage. So that's much better than Amazon who will take 35% of the proceeds after whatever else thing they have like different fees snuck in there. And I just want an option where I can control things. And that's why call for a publishing house to get me to give them any rights to anything I create because they control it in perpetuity for however long the contract says I want to control my own things. I also think that it is quite awful that they create your digital book and they get 90% of all the proceeds and you get a tiny royalty when they don't have any expense. There's no continuing expense for them like happens when they print books. Wow. I'm glad I'm sitting down because I will fall down. Oh, wow. (laughs) No, that's a great education because a lot of people don't understand when you're talking about book publishing you know, seeing the option you've got, but it's yeah. an eye opener for everybody because not everybody is well versed like you are into the publishing world. So this is, you know, guys, if you need to get a hold of it, Christine will talk about it at the end. She will give you um, uh, all of the information where you can get a hold of her because there is a lot of information you've got that we'd love. Probably most people will have maybe wrote some books and published. I said, I wish I would have known that earlier because it would have helped me. It's yeah, I found that all out the hard way, basically. Well, but that's a good, you know what, you, you had to find it. Now that's a kind of a education that people need to know and information that is, cru- you know, crucial. So people, someone else will not have to go through those heartache. It's, this is what is awesome. So you're doing ghostwriting. So how, you know, after you were done to do that 10 day challenge, um, uh, 1000, that was $1,000. And uh, where can they find this one, that's challenge, if it's still available? It's still available. Uh, just Google Rachel Peterson SMU. Like Social Media United is her program. And the 10 days to 1K is under the category Learn to Love LinkedIn. Oh, yeah, LinkedIn. I know because I stopped to use LinkedIn years ago and I went back in LinkedIn because yes. now there is more you know uh more content and more connections because the beginning it's like okay you're in there and you oh all of the co-workers are like no I don't want all of the co-workers <laughs> but it's like how you know what I mean it's like okay well if it's only the co-workers what's the point you know what I mean it's like I don't right. want to connect with those guys I see them every day I don't need that yeah but to expand your network and how to expand your network it's a different challenge so for me I stopped to use it because I did not saw the benefit mm-hmm. and the benefits came later on, which means earlier this year when I'm like, oh, okay, let's do this and see how it goes. And I said, oh, well, we can connect. There is a different things. There is, you know, more knowledge and stuff about how to connect with people. But again, it's very, very interesting. So, well, and so, that's how we met, right? We met on LinkedIn technically. Technically. Yes, we did. 
technically we did well, okay fine people i must admit it <laughs> <laughs> we met through a linkedin group basically yes we did with larry the solo with larry. Tra- uh solo printer solo printer mm-hmm. solo printers yes because i met larry actually through linkedin I had him on my podcast and he said, oh, I have these coming up every week. I'm like, okay, well, let's see. I'm like, oh, that's what we're going to see. But I love it. The solopreneur is just fantastic. It's, it's a good group of uh, entrepreneurs. Yes. And we had fun. This is how we met uh, right. with Larry and his session. On, he has a couple of sessions, one on Wednesday uh, for the mastermind and one uh, for the rest of the wild kids like us on <laughs> Thursdays. <laughs> That's but right. It gets it, pretty wild. It is. It is fun. You know what? Yeah. We learned a bunch of stuff. We're having fun. We're communicating. And you get the 30 minutes after the show where it's hilarious because Larry and uh, Sajai are already Sajad. They're, they're, they're hilarious. They're, the they're so funny. Sajad was who I got paired with in the last breakout session. It was so fun. He's hilarious. I'm like, the first time I met him, I'm like, holy crap. It was like, and it just go at it. And it's hilarious. It's, I like the, the both of them, their interaction is hilarious, but it's, it's a good group. So this is how we met. And yeah. I've been fascinated because I wanted to know more about you and what you do. And so, okay, so you're starting to, to work as a ghostwriter. You're getting your clients. So what's next? So I realized that even though I could do so many things, I I had gone to a copywriting course, but it didn't really help me a lot. And I kept asking people, I'm like, I want to put together like story writing and my literary background and add that to copywriting. And everyone kept saying the same thing. They're like, you have to meet Krista. You have to meet Krista. They would tag her. They would be like, Krista's the one to go talk to her. So finally I tried to, but she was like in between, she was like at a trip. I couldn't get a hold of her. And so I just stalked her online. I was just like paying attention for when she would come back. And like certain enough, two weeks later, she came back and I was like, I'm signing up for her free thing. And then I signed up for her pay thing. And immediately after her paid thing, I was like, I want this person to be my mentor. So I enrolled in the Written Results Academy if you want to be a copywriter and make a bunch of money, I mean, you have to work for the money, right? But if you want to learn how to make money by helping people connect with the people they need to know, Written Results Academy is the best. Chris is still my mentor. After we record this, I am going to my mastermind group with her. Uh, <laughs> and so she taught me sales psychology. And I was like, I want to marry this with storytelling. And she's all, that's what I do. That's what makes my copy more powerful than other people's. And she's like, this is going to be a great fit for you. And right away, I started getting more clients, but something else interesting happened, which is so fun for me. Uh, People kept hearing that I was also a copy editor. And Mm -hmm. so people who are writing business books started hiring me. And now I charge upwards of $3,500 just to copy edit and developmental edit someone's book. If they don't want, if they've already written it and they don't want to pay me 50,000 to write their book, then I can copy edit it for them. And it's been so fulfilling to watch all the different struggles and all the different skills I've learned come together in such a powerful way. And I would say to anyone who's like, should I hire a mentor? When you find the right person, you'll know. And yes, you absolutely should. It's not a waste of money. It's only going to help you. Absolutely. I love that. 
Uh, I will, I'm going to extend an extra, an invitation for next month, which is around the corner to come back and continue the conversation because I know one hour is not enough here <laughs> because we need to know more. Well, because you could do so many things, you're doing so many things that people, you know, you get the copywriting, you have the ghostwriting, you get so many things going on that it's nice to unveil, you know, lift up the veil, the corner of the veil. And just to, you know, more know more about it, because this is an area where people have no clue. It's like the mystery land. Yeah. It's like the magical land you enter. It's not Disney World. It's better than that. Well, it's... and you have to, like, I'm obsessed with storytelling, right? I'm the storytelling yeah. lady. Yeah. But without the story, there's no sales. That's just how it works. So if yeah. you're serious about growing your business, yeah. you need to be curious about storytelling. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And you, it has to be compelling. And like you said, you need the empathy, you need to connect with your uh, prospects, which, you know, you can have a great story, but if you don't connect, you're not going to go anywhere. So you need that touch. And no, yeah. not everybody has it to give, uh, um, to have the message passing across. So the buyers, the future buyers, especially future buyers, because what you need to target, and I have to change, I have a presentation, I actually have to change uh, one thing. It's 4% of, uh, in a buyer journey, only 4% are ready to buy. So that's mean 96% are not. Right. And on those 96, they always ask the question, why should I buy? And I don't need anything, so why should I buy it? And those questions needs to be answered. And a lot of people don't know that. They don't know how to do it. So that's why it's like, well, if I don't have a problem with my car, why should I buy this or services that I don't need it? Well, you, need, you want them to purchase yours, so you're going to have to explain to them why. Yes. And those are the and, famous why you have to answer. And you need, you have to know sales psychology because or else you're going to take them through the wrong steps and they're not going to buy. But exactly. also, I just want to spotlight you a little bit, Emma, okay. uh, if I can for a minute or Please two. <laughs> uh, so your podcast is the first time I told this story publicly. So I want to thank you for having me on and extracting that from me. And I love your storytelling heart. I appreciate you so much. And I'm glad that it was your show where I got to share this insane journey I've been on for the last almost five years. You gotta bring me to tears. It's too long <laughs> for tears. Don't do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but thank you. No, but I know you got a, a fantastic journey and I want to know more. And I know when I ask you to come on my podcast, there's a reason. When I stalk people, because I do stalk people when they don't want to come on my podcast. I have one right now I'm chasing after because I want her story too. And I'm not, I'm, I'm going to say, maybe I'm going to receive the letter or the cops going to deliver a letter saying, these NDCs do not approach and contact that person. Yeah, There is a reason because your story is going to touch people as well. It's your own story, but I know some other people are going to relate to your story, but not only to the story, but to the journey and the information you provide is unbelievable because that information you're providing is amazing. You have a source of knowledge. You have a passion. When you're talking to me, it's like, I can feel it. It's like, oh my God, you're so passionate about it. And that's what's going to interest people. So for me, I'm very humbled to witness for you to open up and share the story. But as I said, I'm extending a second episode for August. I think we're going to do more than that. But I want to extend the next episodes because there is more than you have than you that needs to be shared for people to know and to know who you are and the arts of ghostwriting, editing. There is a lot of copywriting. A lot of people don't know all of that. 
So right. for me, it's opening the door for people who feel like, well, I could do this. And you give them the understanding and what it takes. So it will inspire them to do it. So for me, it's inspired others to, if they want to go on that path, then they got the advice. So they know that where you went through and the struggle you've gone, then you help them to avoid some of those struggles. They will get through their own struggle to get where they yeah. need to be. But at least there is an understanding that, like you said, you were in tears when your computer was crashing when you were doing the, the test. <laughs> understanding that it takes more than what people think it is. It's really, you know, very deep knowledge and you need to have in order to be successful and a good uh, copywriters and, and what you're doing. So for me, it's awesome. But no, I'm going to extend that invitation definitely because I want to know more. And I know uh, the audience is going to want to know more about you because you're awesome. And I love her glasses, by the way. If you see her beautiful glasses, they're all phenomenal. I love it. Every time I see you, I see you with a different pair of frame. It's like, it's beautiful. I love those glasses. They're awesome. They are totally you, actually. Well, shout out to Iris Apfel for making giant glasses a thing and then designing a line of amazing ones. I know. Today we got the blue with uh, what the yeah, color like, is. It's like tortoise shell. Yes. And they're gorgeous. They're absolutely beautiful. No, Seriously. I can't see anything. They're awesome. <laughs> so, but no, so you're invited for next month. So we will set it up our time outside of here. But thank you so much for uh, being on the podcast today. It's amazing. We just scratched the surface, guys. So don't worry. There is more with Christine. Uh, yes, we do. She's coming back. Don't worry about it. And I think it's not going to be one more episode. It's going to be more than that. But if you need to, if people need to get a hold of you, where can they find you? Now, where they can reach out for you. So they can find me on any platform because I'm on every platform. I also have a social <laughs> media manager if you're looking for an amazing one. Uh, so my company's name is Literary Symmetry. If you want to book a call with me, you can go to literarysymmetry.com uh, or you can just find me, Kristen N. Spencer, on any platform. You can also look at my Amazon page if you're curious about what kind of books I've written. I guarantee you'll be surprised at what you find there. Um, and yeah, that's it. If you want, so I do have something free for your audience if they're interested. Sure. Go ahead. So if you go to literarysymmetry.com forward slash 10 mistakes, I tell you the 10 biggest mistakes that businesses make either when they're trying to write their first book or they're trying to create their business messaging the 10 things that really either offend people that you're trying to get on your client list or nice. keep them feeling like they're too far away from knowing who you are to hire you. Fabulous. And I will put all of this into the description of today's episode. And that episode will be published on Monday. So yay, it will be ready to go. And it's going to go off the press. I will, uh, like I normally do with everybody uh, on LinkedIn, I will tag you there uh, and you will be going all of the platforms. So I'm so happy and pleased that I talked to you, but we'll talk to you next month. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Universe.